0: We've called it Life, the Universe, and Everything. And basically what we want to do for three weeks, this Sunday and the next two, is kind of wrestle with some of the questions around origins, creation, the beginning of mankind. And honestly, part of what's prompted is uh, I really like Andrew Root. He's a theologian who... Um, addressed this in one of his recent books talking about science and faith and even just kind of this frustration that it feels like Christians, a lot of churches, almost paint the two as enemies, that they conflict with each other, that that some Christians feel threatened by science or, or we avoid it altogether. And he wrote, if we're honest with ourselves, keeping faith and science apart is impossible. And both approaches are unhelpful, to our young people. And, and part of why he's saying that is we know from the surveys that, that, you know, I grew up in those kind of churches that said, if you don't believe this exact explanation of how God created, how it all began, how you do all of this, if you don't believe our exact interpretation of it, then you have rejected all of the Bible in faith. That You can't follow God unless you believe it. And that used to bother me, because I'd be like, but what if you're wrong? Like, what if you read it wrong? And, and, and what we've seen over time is that, you know, we talk sometimes about how there's a huge drop-off of young people that when they finish high school and go off to college, that a lot of them seem to leave the faith, at least for a period of time. And the number one reason given is that a lot of these young people have grown up in churches where they've said, you have to believe this way or you reject God. And they go off to college and they hear, really, maybe some of you already have, really compelling arguments for things they were always told were wrong and against God. And, and then because of the way it's been presented to them in their churches, they go, well, I can only choose one or the other. And this really makes sense. The evidence points to what i'm hearing in these classes and so uh, for a lot of young people they go well then i guess i can't follow god and and what we want to do over these few weeks is uh next week we're going to really dive into genesis 1 and look at creation what does the bible actually say in genesis 1 about god creating the earth and the week after that we're really going to dive into who were adam and eve What does the Bible actually say about them? What can we believe about how humanity began? But this week, I wanted to do something uh, a little different. You you might see on your paper uh, that I've called this week the ultimate question, right? That that we're calling the series "Life, the Universe, and Everything." And does anybody recognize that? You have what? Life, the universe, and everything. You had me excited for like half a second. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Now, it's written by an atheist, okay? I'll be up front. But it is like the funniest science fiction, like British comedy uh, series of books ever. There's actually five of them, which he calls a trilogy. He just, like, as he kept coming out with them, he was like the increasingly inaccurately named Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy trilogy. And, uh, but the first book is called Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And there's a scene in it where it's just separate from the story. But it's talking about this alien race on some other planet in some other part of the universe that was wrestling with the question of life, universe, and everything. What is the answer to life, universe, and everything? And, and they're trying to figure it out, and they don't know, and they just want to... And so they, they design the most powerful computer in all of the universe to give them the answer to this ultimate question. And they design the computer and they, they, they turn it on. They go, can you tell... They call it Deep Thought. And they said, Deep Thought, can you tell us what the answer to life, the universe, and everything is? And uh, Deep Thought says, you know, not yet. It needs to think about it. And so they go, well, how long do you need to think about it? He goes, seven and a half million years. So for seven and a half million years, this computer... Is processing this question and wrestling through with it. And finally comes the day where the seven and a half million years are up. And I want to read you that part of the story. There's these two guys, Fouge and Lunqual, who are selected by the entire race of this planet to be the representatives to go hear the answer. We're the ones who will hear, said Fouge, the answer to the great question of life, the universe, said Lunqual, and everything. Shh, said Loon Qual with a slight gesture. I think Deep Thought is preparing to speak. There was a moment's expectant pause while panels slowly came to life on the front of the console. Lights flashed on and off experimentally and settled down into a business-like pattern. A soft low hum came from the communication channel. Good morning, said Deep Thought at last. Er, good morning, a oh deep thought, said Loon Qual nervously. Do you have, that is... An answer for you, interrupted Deep Thought majestically. Yes, I have. The two men shivered with expectancy. Their waiting had not been in vain. There really is one, breathed Fouche. There really is one, confirmed Deep Thought. To everything, to the great question of life, the universe, and everything, Yes. Both the men had been trained for this moment. Their lives had been a preparation for it. They had been selected at birth as those who had witnessed the answer, but even so they found themselves gasping and squirming like excited children. Are you ready to give it to us? Urged Lun I am. Now! Now, said Deep Thought. They both licked their dry lips. Though I don't think, added Deep Thought, that you're going to like it. "'It doesn't matter,' said Foosh. "'We must know it now.' "'Now?' inquired Deep Thought. "'Yes, now!' "'All right,' said the computer "'and settled into silence again. "'The two men fidgeted. "'Tension was unbearable. "'You're really not going to like it,' "'observed Deep Thought. "'Tell us!' "'All right,' said Deep Thought. "'The answer to the great question, "'Yes, of life, the universe,' And everything, said Deep Thought. Yes, is, said Deep Thought and pause. Yes, is, yes. Forty-two, said Deep Thought with infinite majesty and calm. It was a long time before anyone spoke. Out of the corner of his eye, Fouche could see the sea of tense expectant faces down in the square outside. "'We're going to get lynched, aren't we?' he whispered. "'It was a tough assignment,' said Deep thought mildly. Forty-two, yelled Loon Kual. "'Is that all you've got to show for seven and a half million years' work?' "'I checked it very thoroughly,' said the computer. "'And that quite definitely is the answer. "'I think the problem, to be quite honest with you, "'is that you've never actually known what the question is. "'But it was the great question, "'the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything,' "'howled Loon Qual. "'Yes.' said Deep Thought, with the air of one who suffers fools gladly. But what actually is it? A slow, stupefied silence crept over the men as they stared at the computer and then each other. Well, you you know, it's just... Everything offered Fouche weakly. Exactly, said Deep Thought. So once you do know what the question actually is, you'll know what the answer means. I thought it was hilarious, right? And so then the story goes on that they have to build another computer to figure out the question so that they would know what 42 means. And that takes another 10 million years. And then somebody blows up that computer 30 seconds before it's going to give the answer. But whatever. I digress. I love the idea that they didn't know the question they should be asking. And I feel like sometimes when we talk about this topic of origins and science and faith that we're asking the wrong questions. They were coming at it from the wrong direction. Because, honestly, we are in... We're talking about passages of Scripture that were written 3,500 years ago in an ancient culture, in an ancient language, with a far different set of values and standards and even ways of looking at the world than what we do today. Right? And, and, And we wrestle with, because there's verses which I absolutely 100% believe, 2 Timothy 3.16 at the beginning, says all Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is inspired by God, and yet believers today in the world sometimes look at some of these passages and go, but there's contradictions, there's errors. What's going on? And, and I think it's because we're asking the wrong questions. If you look on your paper, I put a note that there's different genres and writing styles in the Bible. And here's why I point this out. Because that whole question of we're 3,500 years later, uh, there's a number of different ways in which the Bible was written. Writing styles, tools that they approached it with, genres of literature. Uh, one of the obvious ones is Historical that there's large sections of the Old Testament and the New Testament that we would view as historical documents. But even that is different than how we would record history today. Some of you know I was a history major. The standards for history writing today are far different than they were 3,500 years ago. The objective today when we record history is to try and document an unbiased objective, here are the facts. And even then, historians and and degree programs that prepare historians acknowledge every single historian has a bias. So we're constantly working against our own bias of I prefer this version of the story or I prefer that, and trying to be as objective and fact-based. Don't we like facts? We, we, We want the details. We want to know the exact times. We want the exact records. We're in a time where everything can be pinpointed down to the second, and we expect that level of detail. But history, historical documents, historical genre in the Bible from 3,500 years ago was blatantly biased in a good way. But that the biblical writers were not just trying to record the history of their people, they were writing history with a theological message. That this history points us to God. There's this undercurrent of the Bible is meant to guide us to God. And so, even the way they would have done history, a genre that we share, was different than how we would today. We have the, the law. There's sections of the Bible, uh, you know, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, right? Where there's just long lists of laws about how to worship. But that's different than the way we would view the law today. The law today is about doing right or wrong, or you get a ticket, or you get jail time. Back then, the law was this is how you worship and follow God. Wisdom literature. Psalms and and Proverbs that that guide and give them wisdom. The Psalms themselves, the Song of Solomon, the Book of Psalms, books that were literally music. Psalms is another word for uh, songs, right? Prophecy. That some of the books of the Bible were concerned with revealing truth about God, about what was to come and what God is doing now. Apocalyptic end of the world not mad max end of the world but like apocalyptic literature of 3500 years ago what is god going to do with all this the gospels matthew mark luke and john are their own unique writing style because they're not even there's a historical element to them but it's almost more of like a legal briefing Like John's book, more so than any other, is written as though he was making a case before a judge for this is why you should believe in Jesus. And then the epistles. A lot of the New Testament are uh, (coughs) letters written to people about God that somehow got preserved and we still have. And so we have this long list of these are the writing styles of the Bible. And what's missing? Science. Here's what I mean by that. That if we actually look closely at Scripture, we realize the intent of it was never to be a scientific textbook. Right? That God's goal was not to explain the mechanics of the universe. God's goal, all these types of literature, the purpose of all of them was to paint the narrative of this is how a broken sinful people can be reunited with God put a few verses here that people sometimes wrestle with. I should be careful how much time we spend on them, because we got a little bit of a late start. But here's an interesting one. Right in Genesis chapter 1, and next week we're going to dive more into Genesis 1, but here's one that people wrestle with, uh, that some people use as a, this is why the Bible isn't true. Right? It says, uh, and God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from Uh, water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And it was evening and it was morning the second day. Older translations tend to use words like vault and firmament. Some even use, one translation even uses the word dome. That God created a dome to separate the water in the sky from the water below. And and more recent translations have tended to use language that just says, God created the sky to separate the water above the water below. But in the ancient Hebrew, in this poetry, they literally understood it as a physical hard surface holding up water above the earth. In another passage, Genesis seven eleven, when the flood happens in uh, the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heaven were opened. And the language there, again, points this idea that there was this massive amount of water above the earth that was dropped on the earth. And, and there's, a, there's an approach to Scripture called the concordance view, that science and the scripture must agree. And so people have tried to come up with theories to explain, so how is all this water up there thousands of years ago, that when we now have gone up to, like we know there is not an ocean of water floating around the earth now. And so one of the theories was, well, when the flood happened, the water came down, but it didn't go back up and it was absorbed into the earth. And so uh, that at the flood, and some of you may have heard that. And that's These are valid ways to approach scripture, but it's also one of the things that people criticize. Well, if that was true, though, David, thousands of years after the flood, he writes in these different psalms, You covered it with the watery depths, with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. In In the Hebrew that he was writing, it's very clear that from his perspective, there was still this massive amount of water around the earth. Uh, In Psalm 148.4, he says, Praise Him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the skies. What's going on here? 3,500 years ago, when a lot of this scripture was written, there was an understanding of the design of the earth. Right? The scientific understanding of the day was what we now refer to as a three-tiered universe. You don't need to try to read all the little whatevers. It's impossible. But 3,500 years ago, all of the people around the world would have believed that the earth was flat. They believed that there were three tiers to it, that you had this lower level, the foundation, where Shoal was, and they don't really know what that is, but it seemed like a place where people would go to suffer when they died, that there was this foundation, that that the earth itself, the landmass, was a circle in the middle of this giant disk, this flat disk. And and that's why you actually see there's some verses that talk about how God created the circle of land, that God created that the world was a circle. And we automatically assume, because of our culture and our knowledge of the world, that when the Bible says circle, it's talking about a globe. Well, from their understanding 3,500 years ago, this was all of the universe that there literally was this firmament, this dome, and that above it there was water, that the sun and the stars and the moon were all of the same distance from us. That they were just, there was no concept that stars were suns just much farther away so they looked small. They would have thought that there was waters below, that we were surrounded by water, that there were waters below the great deep, that there were waters above the firmament, and at the very top, there was a gateway, and above that was God. That's why there's verses that talk about how from God's view, He could see all that there was. Now, we understand that theologically today, that God is present everywhere, so He can see everything. They didn't think of it in terms of that way. They just thought of it in terms of God is above, it's flat, so of course He can see it all. This was the science of the day. And, and we look at it and we go, they thought there was a giant amount of water above the earth. Like, that's bizarre. But 3,500 years ago, they didn't have satellites. They didn't have telescopes. They didn't have the technology that we have today, right? They saw water coming down from the sky. And there are no rivers going up there. Like, the water has to be coming from somewhere. I'm kind of making a joke, but... But, like, from their ancient mindset, that just makes sense. That, that when they looked up, they saw well, the sky is blue, clearly, because of the water that's up there. We know now the sky is blue and the ocean are blue because they kind of reflect each other, right? But this was kind of their ancient understanding of the world. And there's even more verses that supported this understanding. In Psalm 104.5, says, He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. For a long time, theologians were convinced the earth was in a fixed place. Some of you may have even heard in history how it used to be believed that the sun orbited around the earth. Right? And, in fact, Galileo got in a lot of trouble for suggesting otherwise. But part of the reason why they were convinced that the sun orbited around the earth, there's actually a number of verses in the Old Testament that, that so they used to support this idea. But Ecclesiastes 1.5 says the sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. And so theologians, when Galileo came forward and said what he said, were going, this is heresy. The Bible literally says the earth doesn't move, the sun moves, you are disagreeing with God. Now, centuries later, we have the evidence. We, actually, we know our entire galaxy is moving through space, that the galaxy is expanding outward at an incredible pace, right? That all of it's moving, that the sun is the center. And so we've understood now with this new information that verses like this aren't talking about the literal position of the earth. They're talking about that in God's perspective, humanity is the center, right? That, that He's reaching out and loving His people. But some of those first passages, people are still arguing about. What was going on with this water? What was going on with the Old Testament? And, and, and trying to explain that. And I love, I like the Doctor Who. Uh, you may have heard of it. But the Doctor said in one of the episodes... The very powerful and the very stupid have one thing in common. They don't alter their views to fit the facts. They alter the facts to fit the views. It's kind of this idea that if we look at this information and go, Oh man, these facts don't make sense because I believe one way. The answer isn't to rewrite the facts, right? The answer is to go, well... Well, maybe my interpretation of those facts are wrong, and I need to adjust. John Walton, incredible theologian, wrote, We must keep in mind that we are presumptuous if we consider our interpretations of Scripture to have the same authority as Scripture itself. Nobody is an infallible interpreter. We must always stand ready to reconsider our interpretations in light of new information. We must not let our interpretation stand in the place of Scripture's authority and thus risk representing, uh, misrepresenting God's revelation. The, the point that he's getting at is going, just because tradition has always said it must mean this, doesn't mean we need to stick with that traditional understanding when new information comes into view. You know, that we should learn the lesson of the past when they thought the earth was the center of the universe and the sun went around the earth and it was like, oh no, we we misunderstood that. That when we look at other aspects, because for me, I look at it and go, would God intentionally create a world that looks like one thing happened while saying another thing happened? Would He make it to be, or are we reading it differently than we should. There, um, there's a point that I put on your paper that theologians use to explain what's going on here when it comes to this stuff in the Bible that we look at and wrestle with whether or not it meshes with the science of today. It's this idea that God accommodates us. That, that their point is that when God was Inspiring these writers with the scripture, his goal was not to give them a detailed explanation of this is how it all began, right that his actual goal was to point them to God to, to give the message of this is how we 're reunited with the God that loves us that that the actual question is not so how did it all begin? The actual question is what is The message of the Bible. And so when God accommodates us, what that means is he's using our knowledge at the time. He accommodates that knowledge to make the point he needs to make. Here's another way to put that. When my son, Zach was like five or six years old or four years old or whatever, and asked for the first time, where do babies come from? I did not say, well, Zach, one day, mommy and daddy, no, that is not appropriate for a four or five or six year old. He doesn't even care about all that. And, and I put this picture of, you know, the stork with the baby. What I actually say to him? We, we said, well, babies come from mommy's tummy. And he said, okay, and he left. Like, he didn't care. That was enough. That answered his question. And, and the heart of it is true. Babies come from mommy's stomach. Right? And, and some of this stuff that we look at in the Scripture and we wrestle with, you know, with the science, with this, but that, the heart of it's true. It comes from God. But God was accommodating a world that believed in a three-tier universe. God was accommodating a world that had very limited scientific knowledge compared to what we do today. And so the point was to point them to God, not to go, hey, let me give you some scientific knowledge 3,500 years before you're going to get it, right? And even for us today, science is a constantly changing thing, right? That as a culture, we look at the science of 100 years ago and laugh. Like, they believed what? But 100 years from now, they're going to do the same thing now, because of all the discoveries they're going to make. And it's easy for people of faith to sometimes go, see, scientists are always wrong, but theologians have gotten it wrong a lot over the years. Theologians have used the Bible to justify saying that the earth is the center of the universe. Theologians have used the Bible to justify slavery. Theologians have used the Bible to justify horrible mistreatment of women. Theologians have, and at the time, people just thought it made sense, because that's what their culture told them. So God accommodates us. He uses our understanding of the day to make His point. Here's the the second point that I want to make. Actually, the last point. So what is actually the Bible's purpose? It's to guide us to God. Look at what the Bible says about itself. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. In 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, he says, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And this is the New Testament, but it's literally talking about the Old Testament. So this is talking about Genesis and Exodus. Actually, the five books of Moses Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy would have been like the five biggies. They would have memorized them. Paul says to Timothy, You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us what to do, what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. It's a reoccurring theme through Scripture. That the point of Scripture is not to give us a detailed understanding of how the world works. The point of Scripture is to use our understanding, use our culture, whatever, but to point us to God. I love Paul Wallace, is a noted astrophysicist who grew up in a Christian home, went off to college, became an astrophysicist, rejected God in the process of that, going, because he had grown up being told, you know, It's either science or faith. He was like, I can't mesh the two. So he rejected it. But then as he dove deeper into science, he started to see God all over it, And he ended up coming back to God. And he wrote in his book, one of the great moments of my life came when I understood for the first time that being a Christian is about one thing and one thing only. Making a conscious commitment to follow Jesus. here is kind of the point that i wanted to get at today to frame what we're going to do in the next two weeks when we actually dive into the creation of the world and the creation of people is is this idea of what are the questions we're asking how do we view scripture do we come at it so determined that what our traditions have already taught us that we're not open to see new things that God is teaching us Uh, are we looking at it with the wrong purposes to it or are we coming at it from a framework of maybe God is still helping us to understand what he wrote there and what it means that maybe churches have been wrong that framed it as an either or thing that maybe for us, wherever you land in how you think science works, what science tells us, that maybe there's multiple ways to have those opinions and still love and honor God. Right? I put a few questions at the end there, but we got a late start so we didn't really get to them. But I would challenge you this week as part of your quiet time to kind of think through them before we come back next week and and talk about Genesis 1. To think through uh, how have you felt about science and faith? That that what does this idea about literary genres do as you process that and think, well, yeah, the, the Bible was intended to be a lot of things, but it's not a scientific textbook. That... That God, can He accomplish His goals? Is He powerful enough to accomplish His goals regardless of how we think some of that stuff worked or was written? Pray about it. Think about it. Come back next week uh, as we tackle the next part. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. Uh, We thank You so much that You do guide us in all this, and we ask that you would bless this time of study as we think about these big questions and, and what are your answers to all of this. In your name, amen.